You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Can We Talk? You know, I'm here with the usual suspects, Nicole and Shayna. How y'all ladies doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing fine. How you doing, Nicole? I'm great. All right. Great. Eric um, is missing today. Yeah, Eric's is on leave. Um, but before we get into our episode, I wanted to say this episode of Can We Talk is sponsored by Audible. You can start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com slash Detroit or text Detroit to 500-500. You know, audiobooks, you know, besides being a great sidekick for summer activities like hiking, sunbathing, running, road tripping, enjoying downtown, downtime outdoors and more, you know, it's more so an alternative for people who I believe we all work nine to fives here and we don't have time to physically open a book and read a chapter. So when you have some, when you have an expert narrator reading a tale through audio, it really brings the work to life. Currently, you know, I just got done listening to um, End of Watch by Stephen King, read by Will, Pant- Will Patton. Excellent narration and really brought through, you know, just the the great detective story that was there. Are you two listening to anything? Unaudible? Yeah. Unfortunately, no, not right now. I'm listening right, to join. The Mother of Black Hollywood by Jennifer Lewis, and she's reading it. So it's awesome. Okay, what's what's that about? Like, like just it's a quick a synopsis. Memoir. It's a memoir. You know, Jennifer Lewis. She plays the mother on um, Blackish currently, mm-hmm. and you know she's played you know various mothers throughout. So it's it's uh, you know talking about her upbringing and like I'm I'm in the beginning of the book. Okay, I, I love that she's reading it. Okay, yeah. Sometimes you have works read by the author themselves. You know, so Audible. I say it's a great investment, even for someone like Nicole, who's mostly on her podcast game. You know, she can join, too. Start your 30-day trial and get your first audiobook for free by going to audible.com slash Detroit or text Detroit to 500-500. So we're going to get into this episode today. I'm feeling great. How are y'all feeling? Yeah, <laughs> I had a I had a great weekend. You know, I just did my laundry. I didn't need to, f- I didn't need to fight an old lady for the big dryer. You know, um, I'm feeling good. What about you, Nicole? I'm doing good. I, what did I do the last two days? I went to a bachelorette party yesterday. How was that? Um, we did pole dancing lessons, so it's not easy. It's not. I feel you need a lot of upper body strength. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And they were like, you can wear your heels if you want while you try. And I'm like, no. No. Okay. I can't do this. And it's like best to like no matter what kind of shape you're in when you go to those pole dancing classes to wear like a crop top or shorts so your skin can like kind of grip the the pole. pole. I learned that the heart like... I went in January, so I had on a sweatshirt and some oh. jeans, and yeah, that didn't work at all. At all. Yeah. Did you have fun? Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of poles and penises everywhere, so <laughs> it's a bachelorette party. Well, I can't relate to this, but... Um... Same dick forever. <laughs> that was the tagline. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> well, um, I know... Well, no, no. My girl went to one of those pole dancing classes, and she said herself, you do need a lot of upper body strength, and it is kind of an art that you practice with time. So um yeah I guess that's uh that's great. <laughs> no no no. Um but I've enjoyed this um this past week. I feel like the week went by fast to me. And getting into um current events, you know, there was something that kind of shocked me last night that um you know John McCain has passed away. He's 81. 
Yeah. Um, that happened quick because, like, they announced that he was no longer getting treatment. And then, like, I think a few hours later, he passed. Right. Yeah, yeah, that too. You know, my prayers go out to the McCain family because I really believe, like, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you know, Ma- James, John McCain, he did stick by his beliefs to the end and he was a maverick. <sighs> I believe so. You know, uh, we're not we're not gonna get into it. My man, he he battled cancer for a long time. So you know, my prayers go out to him and his family. And that's just that's, that's how I feel. I agree. That's all I got on that. Right. Um, okay. So what we got in hip hop corner? I don't really have anything. I haven't listened to anything new um, this past week. I'm not sure if anybody released any new music. This weekend, I did watch the VMAs up until Jennifer Lopez's performance, and then I turned it off. It made me feel elderly, uh, <laughs> like watching all of the new talent that I'd never heard of before. Yeah, I, there's a lot of faces I noticed on the red carpet that I didn't recognize at all. Yeah, I'm like, oh, no, Cardi B. Yeah, I know her, but like I think Noah Cyrus and Little Zan or I don't know who these people are. And they all look like, you know, when you were younger, having a couple tattoos like was a big deal. And now you have kids who literally just have them all over their face. And so villains from a ratchet Gotham City. Pretty much. much Yeah, they look like they belong like hanging out with the Joker. The Jared Leto Joker, not the not the Heath Ledger Joker. Yeah, Let's be real. That, Let's be real. I think they are making a Joker movie based with, with Jared Leto now. No, nah, Joaquin Phoenix. Oh. oh, really? Yeah. Thank God. I think he could do Heath Ledger a justice because Jared Leto did not. It, but it ain't about that. I mean, each Joker I is enjoy, different. I enjoy Suicide Squad. It's just that Heath Ledger set the bar so high. Mm-hmm. It's like... I don't think so. They were two different Jokers. Jack Nicholson was more comical. Heath Ledger was more dark. And Jared Leto was more punk. Joaquin Phoenix, we'll see what he does with the torch. Um, yeah, I mean, I th- each Joker is different. And each Joker is great in their own way. That's it? That's all? Well, what about What else for current events? I mean, there's current events, but I feel like we're going to get into it with the crime topic. Okay. All right. God, I wish Eric was here. All right, um, moving on. Let me get <laughs> let me give my two cents real quick. Um, so I want to start off with this. Like, it's, it's not going to take long. Do you all know what in film and literature what a magical Negro character is? Yes. No. Okay, Shannon, you know you don't know Nicole. <laughs> what about you, you, Randy? <laughs> Oh, okay. okay Randy know. knows. No, no, it's okay. I'm about to explain it right quick. So a magical Negro in a film or literature, it's, it's a black character with higher insight and or extraordinary powers that selflessly comes to the aid of a white protagonist. Now, look, before so I, like Matrix with like yeah, yeah, the yeah, legend of Bagger Vance. You, okay. can, you get that, too. That, too. And uh, Morpheus. Well, yeah, kind of Morpheus. But yeah, I'm just going to start yelling random movies. <laughs> right. Or even Bonnie from the Vampire Diaries. I okay. didn't that. watch that. I know I, I look like someone who watched it, but I did not. <laughs> so so with this being said, I want to give a disclaimer here. I want to give a disclaimer here. Look, I love Stephen King's writing to death. Like, I love Stephen King. I've read this guy since eighth grade. My mom loves him. My cousin, who's like a sister to me, loves him. We all love Stephen King. But I got to be honest, man, most of the black characters in Stephen King's novels and films based on his novels, they, they're magical Negroes. 
Like I gotta I gotta go down the list because I had like a more dilemma to this recently. There's Mr. Halloran in The Shining, the black kid who tells the young kid that he has a shining. In his words, boy, you got the shine. <laughs> There's Mother Abigail in the stand, who in the miniseries was um uh played by Ruby D. If you don't know the stand, it's about um good versus evil in the outbreak of a flu that causes the apocalypse. The evil side is ran by Randall Flagg, which Matthew McConaughey played in the Dark Tower and the good side is ran by a sweet, strong southern black woman named Mother Abigail. There's um Morgan Freeman's Red in the Shawshank Redemption, who doesn't have any powers but is damn near magical. <laughs> Morgan Most be- Freeman is magical in He's everything right. magical he does. And there's, you know, in my eyes, probably like the ultimate magical Negro. There's John Coffey in the Green Mile. <laughs> I mean, look, he's the ultimate magical Negro. I love his character, but come on, man. Let's call a spade a spade. Would you say Samuel L. Jackson counts as one in most of his movies, too? Well, give me an example. Uh, You can't say Nick Fury. Don't say Nick Fury. No, I wasn't going to say Nick Fury, but God, Snake's on a plane. He saved everybody. That well, he was like, the main yeah, character. Like, he was the main character. When I think of like a magical Negro, um, going back to what Anthony was saying, it's like more like a uh, a black person that has a lot of insight. Yeah, right. Like or most deaf in Dexter. He was kind of like the he was kind of a black knight to a dexterous dark white knight kind of a little bit because he was Mufasa. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, you kind of going off the rails, but you. But like, I, I get it. <laughs> I, you get the idea. You get the idea. What I'm trying to say is, I kind of thought about this. Like, is is there a deeper commentary Stephen King is making here, or is this kind of what the Negro, what the magical Negro serves as? It's kind of like to assuage the white guilt of the audience who who watches or reads these characters. I don't know. It kind of it made me think for a while. I'm still going to love Stephen King's books, but I feel like some. Some white authors, you know, because they don't know how to write black characters, they hold them at a very higher standard, almost to the point of an angel or like an, a, a black guardian angel over a white protagonist. I don't I don't know how I feel about that. So I'm just going to leave that open to interpretation. That's just my two cents. Um, y'all want to move into the topic or y'all want to talk about it for a minute? Um, as far as the um, the whole um I don't like the whole, um, you know, like black characters as asexual beings, you know, that's only there to like protect and help, you know, the white protagonist. Uh-huh. And like what, you see wait. a lot. Of, I was gonna say, what does that have to do with being asexual? Like, 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 like they're explain. not like they're they don't get like a personal storyline. Yes, they don't get a personal storyline. You don't know, you know, where they came from. Legend of Bagger Vance. And okay. then they just they just they, exist and do good and yeah right. So I mean i i don't I don't know where like that comes from. Like the whole. Do you think it's because a lot of like they don't know a lot of black people? I don't. I don't know if Stephen King knows a lot of black people. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I don't know if he does, but I think it might be that, or it might be a little bit of a social commentary there, where that. This is who you expect to be. Um, this is this is the kind of character you expect a black person to have in this story. But maybe taking even a step further and maybe adding some. I think there is social commentary in some of Stephen King's novels that doesn't translate well to film. Mm-hmm. So that's that's just my take. But I don't know. It's just something to consider. I don't think it translate well translates well in Hollywood. Like most books. Right. All right. Well. Um, 
We're gonna move on. <laughs> We're gonna move on to our central topic today, which I think is a big deal. You know, I have to ask: Are we desensitized by true crime TV? And by that question, I mean, you know, die, die, um, the the ID channel is very popular. Investigation Discovery. I feel like sensationalism is very popular, where you have these horrible crimes at the center of everything, but because of its entertainment value, it becomes popular. You know, I mean, so I feel like is is there a disproportionate like 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 level between being entertained by something or being mortified by it? Are we more entertained and we're mortified by these true crime stories? I think that's the question I want to pose to us. I mean, I think absolutely. Um, I've noticed that a lot of missing people cases are white young females, and this is pretty a current event with the Molly Tibbetts case. She went missing back in July. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was just going out for a run, and it got publicized so quickly. It was all over social media. People were looking for this girl, and there's so many people who remain missing because they're not getting the right amount of media. I was researching this. There was someone who had actually passed away. He was a high schooler a couple months ago. Someone had picked him up from his home and shot him, and no one knows who did it. And it also wasn't being brought out on the media either. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of they're not getting enough resources to help solve this case. But with the Molly Tibbetts case, once again, you have a beautiful young white female, and she goes missing from Iowa. She has this bright future. And in the end of everything, it turns out that it was an illegal immigrant who was just drawn to her for some reason when he saw her when she was running. And that's how they ended up finding her body is they figured out he was the one who had taken her. Mm -hmm. And he confessed and said, here's where she is. And now it's turning into an even bigger thing because he was an illegal immigrant. Donald Trump is now trying to use this case Mm -hmm. to push building a wall. And her parents, the victim's parents, is like, dude, please don't use our daughter for your own, like, political gain to have more power for this. Like, we're grieving, we're mourning. Anyone could commit this murder. But it's being more brought out on the media because it was an illegal immigrant. Okay. All right. We, we, we're going to speak to that. So what's the other popular case that, that, drew, that drew this story to us? What's the other popular case in the news? The Christopher Watts case. So summarize that for the for the listeners. The Christopher Watts case is a husband in Colorado. He had a pregnant wife and two daughters. And he had claimed that they went missing. And eventually they found the wife's body. And they were still looking for the children. And this whole time he's saying, I just want them back. I want them back. Well, they find the children. And then he admits that actually his wife killed the children. And then he killed his wife out of rage. So his story is already flip-flopping. And this is kind of like the Scott Peterson case or the Casey Anthony case. You know, there's a lot of lying and flip-flop. And that's also something that brings the attention to the media. Um, but they ended up finding the daughters in um, oil tanks oh, wow. where he had worked. Man. And I, I have a feeling he did it. I mean, his story has already changed so many times. Um, but it's another case that's popular, just like the Lacey Peterson case was, because you have a pregnant person who went missing and the husband's lying left and right. Hmm. Shana, what's, what's, what's your response to this for, uh, for we comment on the cases? Well, as far as like true crime and being desensitized, um, I, I think that we are a bit, uh, desensitized, 
to all of um like the the violence and um like they they have a series on id called missing where they where they like backtrack you know like the last you know couple of days of the person's life before they went missing and but you don't get the whole the whole feel of it you know like you, you, you don't, can't summarize that in thirty minutes. No, you no, you can't summarize it in in forty minutes, and then at the, by the end of it, you still you like, oh man, that's kind of messed up. Um, Moving on to the now, next daily episode. women is <laughs> right. It's coming on, so yeah, we I, I feel and we know and I we I think we're desensitized to the pain of the survivors also because when they are on the show, it's very rare that you see them emotional or right. angry mm-hmm. or sad. You know, they're, they're telling their story and, and they're not crying. They just sit like, you know. And, and you also have to realize there's dramatizations, too, which, yeah. you're, which you're looking at. I love the reenactments, though. Have you ever watched but, America's Most Wanted? That right. has the best reenactments I've ever seen. But there's something deeper to this because you're looking at it like it's a movie. And that kind of takes mm-hmm. the realness out of it. You're looking at it like, OK, here's a fictional dramatization. I'm, I'm thinking cinema in my head. So some part of it in the unconsciously, I'm thinking fiction even though it's not fiction, you know, and I feel like with these people, you know, tragedy, if you're, if you're watching a 40 minute series like Missing or um, America's Most Wanted or something like that, this is tragedy captured in a moment. Mm-hmm. For the people that live this, this is tragedy that's going to follow them for the rest yeah, of their lives. Nice. It's not just a moment to them. So I think there is a bit of a desensitization there where we're just watching this for 40 minutes. These people are living this in, in real life until the day they die. Yeah. I mean, we're not really relating with them on that level. Everyone's kind of trying to use all these cases for either political gain or social gain or, you know, things like that. And it shouldn't be like that at all. They should be, you know, people should be out there trying to get more cases out on the media to help that family get the closure they need. But I think, like, these these type of series, um, they taint the potential jury pool mm-hmm. because not everybody thinks that they're a detective. Exactly. And they're like, well, they didn't have this type of evidence or this type of evidence at the scene or, you know, whatever j- police jargon that we pick up while watching these shows. And we may let somebody off that may have potentially been guilty. We may convict somebody that may, you know, be innocent Well, that was one of the huge um, big issues with the Scott Peterson and Lacey Peterson cases. It was so brought up on the media that everyone knew about it. So it was so impossible to pick like the right jurors who didn't have a lot of information on it and kind of could go into this case unbiased to give Scott Peterson the proper trial he deserved. Unfortunately, like he's setting off appeals again, still trying to, you know, bring up that it wasn't fair with the jurors that were in the company. So there can be a bit of change in narrative, too. Mm-hmm, like yes. if, if you look at making a murderer, you know, if you watch that series and you go through the motions of, you know, the the nephew being interrogated, it can be agreed upon that, you know, the, the interrogators may have, you know, coerced him into a um, confession. It could be inter- it can be interpreted that um the main guy, Stephen Avery, he may not have done this. When you flip things and see, you know, um, the investigator side of story after the Netflix series blows up and they say, well, here our side of story, then you might feel like, hmm, did the, did the, docu- did the, did the documentarians, did they flip the narrative a little bit to make it seem like Stephen Avery was 
you know, innocent? Did they flip it to make it seem like the nephew was wrongfully coerced? I, th- I think the nephew was wrongfully coerced, but Stephen Avery's still a question in my mind. So yeah, but we- I think the main reason why a lot of us um, enjoyed making um, enjoyed making a murderer, and then by the end of making a murderer, we were convinced that the cops were wrong, is because it's probably one of the only series that I've seen that wasn't copaganda. Mm-hmm. That didn't show the police in a like in a necessarily positive light. Mm-hmm. Like you, if you look at forensic files, or they have a series on ID where it's just one detective, and he's going through you know all of the murder cases from his past. It it basically shows all cops and all detectives in like a sub like not like a superhuman like a like light, like they always solve cases right. They all they're very sharp and they're not human beings that make mistakes. I can say and this ain't right. I can say I've been more emotionally impacted by an episode of The Shield in The Wire than an episode of The First 48. And The First 48 is real. You know, The Wire may be realistic, but The First 48 is real. So there's something to be said there where when it's real life staring at you told in a cinematic way. It, it can kind of take the realness off of it, if that makes sense. I know I'm being repetitive with the word real, but... No, the I wildest totally hear thing you. about the first 48 is that two people have to die in order for an episode to be made. Right. Like, that's, that's two lives. The series is made off death. Yes, yes. And it's usually they're telling the two stories of two different murders in one episode. That's, that's that's deep. I mean, and that's something you don't really take into account when you're watching it. You're just looking at it as, okay, new first 48 episode, what, what we got going on, what's the case? And it's putting you in the seat of the investigator while he, while he or she tries to solve the case. And you feel like an investigator, like you said earlier, but you don't really know what these people go through. You don't know the emotional toll this takes on their lives. It's entertainment to us, but it's not entertainment to them. And then mostly, like, what I hear about the first 48 is not all that sad. You know, a, a mother lost her son or a person lost their mother. It's usually jokes about how uh, quickly people flip mm-hmm. when they get interrogated. Mm-hmm. It's never about the loss of life. Mm-hmm. I want to make, make a quick connection right quick to what you said about uh, Molly Tibbetts. Yeah. So you said Trump was using this um, for the the immigration stance he's taking. <clears throat> you can almost connect that back to the OJ trial a little bit and how, you know, black people in L.A., I mean, we didn't use – they didn't quote-unquote use OJ as a symbol, but they used him, wanting him to win the case as kind of retribution for all the other cases that preceded it in which, you know, black people who were wrongfully killed or wrongfully beaten, Rodney King. Um, I forgot the young lady's name who was shot in the gas station. It was a, a store. I know you're talking about shot shot in the store, but you in know the back of the head, right? In those cases, the people who are perpetrate who commit those crimes, you know, in Rodney King case, the first trial that went through, you know, they they got off, you know, they they weren't really punished for it, you know, and so with the OJ trial, black people in LA kind of used it as well. Look, I mean, you guys have cheated us over so many years. For now, we're going to cheat you over, and that's why you know when OJ won. I think that is a. <clears throat> Uh, that's a um, an incorrect statement. Like you're really taking something away from the jurors and not putting it on the prosecution. They did not make a case. They could not make a case. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. I hear what you're saying on that. But at the same time, was there not a bit of like like great revenge feeling that was held when he won? Though, 
Was there not well, a bit of like pushing an agenda? It's not a revenge when the justice system is automatically stacked against black people and then you get a black person that's on trial and then they get a fair trial. It's probably the most fair trial that we've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> I can agree with that. So I, I, I don't. I don't think we should take anything away from the jurors because when you look at all of the evidence, they the prosecution did not they didn't make a case. It mm-hmm. has to be beyond a reasonable doubt, and that's not what they did. Mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying, and it's not taken away from the jurors, but I, I do see a connection here. I see a connection between Trump and I see a connection between Trump pushing the immigration policy. I see a connection between we pushing, you know, fair fair um fair justice in the core law with the OJ trial. I see a connection there where both were used as springboards for, you know, social, social uh, themes. Well, I mean, a lot of things can be used as springboards. I mean, think about the Sandy Hook tragedy. They pre- pushed really hard to get gun control after that. I feel it became like the main Parkland- topic outside of the loss of life mm-hmm. of children mm-hmm. was gun control. So where do we where do where do we go from here? I mean, when we when we look at something outrageous as you know, evil genius on Netflix or um, Wild Wild Country, we look at that as you know, entertaining true life stories. But what do we take from that as far as like you know, the dangers of um, cults and the dangers of um, well, I guess uh, well, evil genius was his own thing. I mean, that was its own you know, small time crime small town crime story, which could serve as a season for Fargo or something like that. But I mean, the entertainment value of it, do we do we do we tap into the tragedy of it? Or do we just leave away, just entertain and say, you know, we move on like we do with missing or um, cold case files or whatever? Um, I mean, I don't really move on from missing cases like I try to stay up to date with it as much as I can because it is important. Could you imagine someone disappearing from your life and say the cops aren't working with you or you know, you just have nothing that can lead you back to them. And I think it's really important to at least publicize all those cases more. Mm-hmm. We have social media for a reason now. Use it to an advantage. Don't use it to just watch and get entertained by this. Be part of your own, like, investigator. Like, help out. And that's kind of, like, I don't feel like I'm entertained on it. I'm genuinely, like, I want to help. If that makes sense. Oh, it makes sense. What do you think? Um, I I move on. Like, oh yeah, that was that was good. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's messed up. And then I'm like, depending on what I'm watching, if it's like a series that's detailing a story, um, within like you know maybe you know eight or ten episodes, I may go on Twitter, search the hashtag, see what else, what everybody else is saying about it. You know. To kind of spoil it <laughs> so, or, you know, just to see, you know, get other opinions. Mm-hmm. But, like, once it's over, I, I I move on to something else. Or I may move on to something lighthearted to get my mind off of what I just watched. That's a good point. And, you know, I asked my mother, who's a big ID fan. I say, hey, so how do you take this in? Are you more? Are, do you become mortified? Like, um, like I survived this, or, or you know, songs like that, or you know, shows like that. I said, do you become mortified, or you just keep watching? And she says, you know, it's like CNN. Sometimes I gotta stop, you know, because when you when you become obsessed with it, you're becoming obsessed with, you know, just um, just um, morbid things. And I don't want to become obsessed with a morbid thing like a killing or a kidnapping or something like that. I need to take a step back from ID channel. 
So I think, I mean, I think, are, are we strong enough to take a step back? I don't, I don't think we are in some cases. I don't think, I think we want it. I can't watch. I almost got away with it. Right, that's the show she loves too. I, I can't watch it. It's a killer that's locked up, detailing their crime and then detailing how they escaped and then detailing their time while they were, you know, free. It. I, I think that show is sick. I can't watch. Like I can't watch it. Hey, you know, I tried to watch "I Am a Killer" on Netflix. You know, yeah, from, I already <laughs> from the point of view, from the point of view of the killer who's already in prison. And I, the first episode, I'm just like, I can't, I can't do this, man. This can't be life. I can't, I can't watch this guy or woman talk about them being a killer. And it, it, even with the Madman series on um. The Iceman series on HBO, Richard Kalinsky. I I can't do it, man, because that that digs into your soul. If you if you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares into you, and that can be dangerous. So I've watched those, and I watched the movie. Mm-hmm. Um. So w- have you seen the movie? No, but I like Michael Shannon. Yeah, so, Michael Shannon was dope. So tell me your response to that. Um, the- I actually prefer. The dramatized version, because the dramatized version wasn't as dark. You feel a distance from it. Yes. You feel like this is um, uh, a film that's based on a true story, and I'm going to leave it at that. Yes. And I don't have to feel as connected to watching this actual man stare at me through the camera lens. Tell yeah, it was me what just he's him done. just looking and telling about, I remember one time he killed somebody over $200. Right. And, you, and I've seen clips of this. This man has a wall, a wall over his face. Like, he's just straight up just deadpan, like, yeah, I did it. You know, ran into my brother in prison. He says, hey, Mikey. I'm like, hey, how you doing? Just walk past each other. I'm like, man, this guy just has a wall. That was from the, and I think that was from the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I want to ask y'all this. What's the first true crime story that was made big in the in, in popular culture that you got obsessed with? Obsessed? Even from the past, like... I know, I'm trying to think of, like, the early stages before I became obsessed with it. Well, not even obsessed, but, like, you, you became... <clears throat> like, I want to know what's happening. Right. You you, you want to Now, are we updated. talking about, like, something that was, like, like on the news a lot or something that we saw in the series? Either or. I'd say either or. I think Susan Smith. Okay. So, sum- summarize that. Susan Smith was a lady. Because I, I remember just being young and then just watching the timeline of it all. The timeline of her reporting her children missing and then her crying on the news and then them showing this um, this sketch of this man who took her kids and then the confession of her killing her. She's the one who pushed the car. Yeah, she pushed the car into the lake. I remember that one. So I think like me, like being young and wanting to see a resolution for that. That may have been the first one. I I do know my first one because it was local when we had just, like, moved to Troy. I don't remember the name of the killer, but he killed and dismembered his wife and then said she was missing. And then he it turned out that he dismembered her and laid her out all the way through, like, out Stony Creek Park. And as they were searching for him because they figured out he did it, there's no way. He was actually trying to flee to Canada. And this happened I think when I was like 14. We were I was following that one and that's what initially got me into following more cases. Okay. 
So I'm so I mean, with that resolution you found, Shana, were you satisfied with that or you were like, man, that's all there is? Did you kind of like subconsciously want more? I um I just was like, oh, I like that I I just felt like that was really messed up. Because I was little, like I couldn't imagine being in the car, and my mom pushing it into a lake. Right. So, um, like once it was, you know, resolved and she got sentenced and yeah, that was it. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing of me saying that was it, you have a father whose two sons were murdered and who will be a certain age by now. Will they be grown now? Right. It's not that's not it for him. It's not it for him. You know? That that'll be it for him forever. I gotta say with me, man, you know, it's it's kind of an obscure one. I gotta say the Michael Jackson trial, the one in which um, you know, he was framed for um <clears throat> sexual molestation. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, not framed. I don't want to say framed, but he was on trial for sexual molestation. And as a kid, I think I was in elementary, maybe elementary or sixth grade. You know, um, I didn't look at it as, you know, an icon on trial for like a very serious case. I looked at it as, oh, Michael Jackson's in court for, you know, molestation. You know, at being that young, I didn't know the great, the, the, the gravity and the weight of such a crime as sexual molestation. So I just looked at it as like, this is very interesting. So, you know, of course, I had to go to school, but I always kept up to date on some things like watching CNN with my mom about certain you know, developments in the case. And uh, when he was found not guilty, I was like, wow. And like, I, I was, I was, I wasn't shocked, but I was like, wow, he was found not guilty. I guess, I guess um, that might be the end of it, or maybe something else might happen. And then uh, was that the one where he moonwalked on top of the car? That was like later, I think. Was that, I don't know. Was that the same case? I don't think that was the same one. You talking about in like the nineties, right? I don't Cause know. Were, Cause <sighs> it was like, well, how, that was only one trial, so I think yeah, that was like like early two thousands. Maybe, but um, I, I I think I remember being told about the moonwalking case, and then there was the thing of him holding his baby over the the side rail to people to Blame see it. it. <laughs> yeah, and and I was like, um, I was just sitting there like, well, what's the big deal, mom? She was like, well, I, I guess they looking at it as like that's not that's kind of not how you should hold a baby. No, yeah. and, no. Um, over a railing with many people just taking photos of you. It was not a good. I get what he was trying to do. Yeah. Right. He was trying to give his fans like a, a sort of a little glimpse into like or maybe show a little bit of normalcy like in his life. Right. But yeah, that's not what you do. <laughs> and I and I, I commented on that. I was like, well, I guess so, ma. But, you know, um, I guess I looked at Michael Jackson as somebody that, you know, wasn't my hero. But I was like, he's just different. Mm-hmm. I mean, I looked at him like, well, he's just different. Like, you know, people are different. I was different when I was younger. So I, I felt a connection to that. So I, that kind of made me not obsessed, but wanted me to know updates of the case. You know, like, um, like if I catch myself on trial for like, like stealing or something like that, am I going to be looked at different because I'm different? I think subconsciously that's what it was. I tried to identify with the person on trial. But as it relates to like true crime stories, like on the news and then on these series, like how many of us are now believing to be in our own minds, cops, lawyers, judges, and jurors. I think what you see on TV, you got to you, 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 you can't take that. Um, you got to only take it at face value. I think I'm using the right words here. Where take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, you know, like CSI and fingerprints and all that. You're you're not living this life. Like, don't don't try to say, well, what about the fingerprints? Well, what about the evidence? What about the CSI? You're not in you're not in the standpoint of the person who investigates the crime and the blood analyst and all that. Don't try to act like you are because you watch a lot of episodes of such and such. 
Like I try to be real with myself. I'm like, I can't I can't take that standpoint because I don't know what goes into that all that research and all that work. I like to take the standpoint just to form my own opinion. Pretty much like when I watch all these missing people cases, I gather, I research, I, you know, kind of read whatever news outlet I can and like kind of compare the differences between different stories. And that's when I just form my own opinion. Well, I think this happened. So, I mean, when it gets solved and, you know, it proves me right or it proves me wrong, like it's it's a fun little game I play with myself. So I guess I do find true crime more entertaining than actually feeling for the victims' families. Okay. And that, that, hey, that's, that's a normal reaction. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Um, I have to say, like, there was a time in school where I was like, like, um, I, I had, I had a personal connection to one. There was a person who went to my school. I didn't know the young man that well, but I, you know, it was said on the news that he was, you know, shot down in his neighborhood. It's a young man, not, not, not much younger than me. And, you know, everybody in class was crying. You know, I, I mean, I wasn't crying, but I was a little emotional. Like, like, damn, I knew that person. And I got to I don't think that was a watershed moment, but that was more where I was like, OK, I'm young, but I have to realize this is real because this is somebody mm-hmm. that I knew that is no longer <clears throat> breathing or in this class with me no more. And it's because he was shot down and it was it, it's it's true crime told on local Detroit news that is real and affected me personally. So I had to I had to take that into account being like, OK, this is this is beyond that tube in my mother's room that's large and has a lot of visuals on it television is that how you just described television this large tube (laughs) it's very large it has visuals on it i mean television Television is a mystical thing go ahead but i am finding when i have conversations with people about you know certain cases like current cases they are taking their knowledge from these tv series Mm -hmm. right and trying to apply it to you know something that they may not know a lot about there is a beneficial value to saying, like, you know, I survived because, you know, you, you learn how to survive in those situations. You know, you like do. I remember the one case that was on the Oprah show where a, a woman um, escaped a rapist or a killer by peeing on him, straight up just peeing on him. Like, like and, and then she got away with that. That distracted him. There is something you take away from from these cases. It Yeah. Um, there was a TV show on investigation discovery called See No Evil, which mm-hmm. is based on CCTV, which is security footage, and how they're able to solve cases using it. And one that really hit home for me was there was this young girl who just went to Target and went shopping. And you can see through the security footage that there was this man who was somehow in the same aisle as her every single time. And you're watching this and you feel for this girl because she is completely unaware of this man following her. And he ends up kidnapping her as she was putting her stuff in her car. You can see on like the CCTV footage, like a blur of a man run up to her and like they said he held a gun to her head, made her get in her car mm-hmm. and then drove off and ended up murdering her. So watching that, that made me more aware. You have to be aware when you're walking around places, if someone's suspicious and is making you feel uneasy this can help you. Like I've learned to keep my keys in between my knuckles and kind of just make eye contact with everybody. That was, that was me I'm, too like, when I was places. walking home. Yeah, when I was taking the bus home, that was me too, keeping my keys in between my knuckles. Mm-hmm. Just, it does. It, it is. It's beneficiary in that way. It does make people aware that this stuff can happen to you. Like we're not living in a fantasy world. 
there are bad people out there. There are people with terrible thoughts who are willing to act on them. And it's important. But does it also magnify, like, does it make it seem like, oh, there's just this astronomical crime rate? I mean, because crime has recently taken an uptick. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as of a few years ago, crime was at a 100-year low. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you you can't tell anybody that because they're looking at all these true crime stories. And then you have the 24-hour news cycle that makes it seem like all this crime, 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 crime all the time. I think you even got to call something like Hollywood up up to bat to um for criticism as well. You know, um if you're looking at the 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 Madoff um Ponzi Ponzi scheme, you know, um there's a HBO film called The Wizard of Lies that mm-hmm. you know, it it is in favor of the people who were cheated by um Madoff who was played by Robert De Niro and it does show him as somebody who doesn't have much remorse for what he did and is put on trial and is put through the ringer. His family's put through the ringer for all his mistakes. Then you have Scorsese, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort, who cheated a lot of people on his rise to um to have uh, to being rich. And I don't know, Wolf of Wall Street. I love Martin Scorsese and I love Leonardo DiCaprio, but I feel like that movie it kind of lets Belford off the hook in the end. It like, does. It does. And I listen. I love the performances. They glamorized what he did. I think there is criticism there. I think there is a dark night of the soul in in that film. There is a downfall, but I do feel like like towards the end, it's kind of like a punchline when he's doing the whole sell me this pen thing. You know what I mean? I, have you you seen the film? Yeah, right? I saw it. I, and Rocked I, the record for a uh, number of fucks. Yeah, yeah, that too. In the film. And you gotta, you gotta wonder. I mean, some of the people who were affected by Jordan Belfort, they criticized the film openly and say, "Hey, you know, I feel like this is glorifying." Mm-hmm. You know, but he I, also came under fire after that because people were like, "Wait a minute, he working? Exactly. He owe me money? Oh, we taking him to court." <laughs> that too, and you know, he has a cameo at the end of the film. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I don't challenge um, Scorsese's in, intentions, even with a film like Goodfellas, where the mob is glamorized. But there is a downfall at the end of that film, just like there is at the end of Casino. Mm-hmm. But there is something to be said there, where it's like for the other people watching this. They may not take the lesson from this. They may not. They may just take it as that was awesome. I mean, that's how I took it. And that, that that's a failure of of, of connection it in is. Hollywood. That's a failure. What? Well, well, I'm that may, reminded me of another series that I uh, that I love and enjoy. It's called American Greed. Okay. They basically detail how people get over on other people by like um, embezzling money through. Like through fraud, basically. Scam mm-hmm. artists. Yes, yeah, like scam artists. Um, I enjoy that series because um the scam artists aren't the only people that are greedy. A lot of the victims, they are greedy as well. But like, but is that considered a true crime series? Like, because nobody it's a crime. Yeah. But it's like nobody, like nobody's getting kidnapped, or it's like piracy. Like no one's really physically being affected, other than losing a ton of money, losing a lot of money. Sometimes piracy can work in yeah. the in the benefit of the filmmaker or the music artist because it makes people go out and buy the product. Mm-hmm. But okay, yeah, that's that's an interesting take too. And you know, at the end of the day, you know, crime is crime, and to some point, most of us allegedly committed <laughs> some way or another. Speeding. Right, that too, but I mean, I got you gotta you gotta understand when it's when it's brought to us in the cinematic lens 
at least from my standpoint as a film goer or a TV junkie, I'm look. I, I there's a distance created where I'm like, okay, at some point this is fiction because of the word dramatization, and I'm not giving my real feelings or my real empathy towards what happened here. I am, but unconsciously I'm still looking at it as the word You're fiction. Detached I'm detached. It. And I, I think I think something needs to be said about that. I think we need to take a step back from these kind of shows just for a while, then get back into it, but realize that these are real stories. I think um, one of the first documentaries that had dramatizations was a documentary called, like, Thin Blue Line. Have right. Er- Errol Morris. Yeah. yeah, they were saying that how they really took a big risk with the um with the dramatizations in that um in the documentary but and now it's a thing you know with documentary documentary series like like you have to have like that like a dramatization of that, like what actually happened and i feel like documentarians take a risk of trying to be their own detective you take you take a risk about that and i feel like making a murderer is an example of that it, it was a risk in trying to paint Stephen Avery and his nephew as almost innocent, whereas you have something like the Jinx, where Man of from Heaven, the subject himself admits to doing it on while being recorded and not even knowing he's being recorded. But I think that that, like, I thought that that was kind of dangerous. Like, it was like, dangerous. This the person that made that series. I'm not sure who they are. Like, they had this information. Why is it broadcast before it's turned over to the police? Right. And you know, the thing was, um, well, I thought it was turned over to the police before it was broadcast. Because, I didn't, because but, the, the spoiler had come out before the episode aired. I remember that. I thought that it aired. I can't remember. Maybe my memory is incorrect, but I thought it had aired before. But you know what? It's, it's a little bit of a redemption because the man who made that series, Andrew Jarecki, mm-hmm. he had made a film before then based on that subject with Ryan Gosling playing the title role called All Good Things. Mm-hmm. And the film kind of, in the end, it kind of implies that Ryan Gosling's character, um, who, who played Robert Durst, the young Robert Durst, has something to do with the murder of his wife. But I feel like that, that miniseries was like, that was like divine intervention. That was his redemption as a filmmaker saying, okay, let me let me let me be responsible and really look into this. You know, let me not just be that filmmaker that tries to paint something one way through dramatization. That's that's how I look at it. Um have you ever uh I remember Anthony referring me to a a, tr- a true crime documentary. What was it called? The about the tickling. Oh, what? tickled. Tickled. <laughs> true crime about tickling? So explain this to Nicole real quick because we got we only got a few minutes left. Tickled it. <laughs> it was basically like this underworld of I guess tickling is kind of like torture. Okay. So they make tickling films. You know, two guys. You know, tickling each other until right, the other right. one kind of can't take it anymore. So it's kind of like um, not kind of like a sexual thing. Okay. Yeah. And it just like. And the documentary makers, they were, like, investigating this underworld of tickling. And it just goes, like, way, way left with the guy that made the tickle video. Like, like he was acting like a woman, like, emailing them, like, you know, fake uh, cease and desist letters. It, right. It was a mess. <laughs> People who were involved with these videos who got paid to be in these videos, they were being threatened with them for, you know, for extorting them, saying, okay, we are going to send this. If you're a teacher, we're going to send this to the school board. If uh, you work for a company, we're going to send this to the CEO that you were involved in this. And they, they, they lost a lot through being in these videos. Yes. Particularly. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, like they exposed these people, like, you know, for being in the tickling videos. Like, right. Like, ruined a lot of people's, you know, lives. And there's something to be said. I like, like that right there. That's a film in the follow up film on HBO called The Tickle King. That's a film where, um, <laughs> I know, like, I know how ta- it sounds. Like, like when he, Anthony told me to watch, he's like, you just gotta watch this. I'm like, well, what is it about? He's like, just, I can't even just tell you. Watch it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like films like that, you know, I, I can't be detached from that. I really feel sorry for these people. And I just, I just stand there in the end, like, I don't understand. I, I swear to God, I don't understand how, how, <laughs> how, how, how something this evil could happen in the world. Even with a film like Dear Zachary, was like, I just don't understand. And I feel like that right there is, is your emotion of, is your level of empathy like measured by how powerful the subject is? I was pregnant when I watched Dear Zachary. There I cried. Go. There you go. I cried from be- literally from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Like from beginning to end, I cried the whole time. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I guess we're at the end here. What are what are our final thoughts? Uh, you know, concerning our connection between our level of empathy and the amount of true crime TV we take in. I think your mother was right when she said when she said that she needs to take a break. Right. You know, from ID. I try to tell my mom that she needs to take a break from MSNBC. Like, she watches this all day, every day. Like, I feel like we we do need to take a break from these things sometimes and check ourselves and check our, you know, our empathy and sympathy levels when it comes to the loss of the loss of other human beings. I agree with that. I mean, I'm not going to stop watching true crime and trying to solve it. But nor, nor should we say we should. Yeah. Nor should we say you should. Like, I feel empathy. I do, especially one really quick example with the Casey Anthony case. Mm-hmm. Imagine being her parents. Right. They got an A&E I, documentary She won't on. talk to her. He, her dad won't talk to her anymore because he thinks that she did something to her daughter. And the mom is sticking by your side still and it creates this huge strain in their marriage but they learned how to not talk about it with each other which is completely unhealthy in my head so i feel for that i feel oh i couldn't imagine being in the situation mm-hmm. i couldn't i try to feel for it and that's why i try to make them important especially with the missing people cases that being said though i'm a little desensitized at the same time because i I go to bed at night with just some true crime story and I fall asleep to it. Forensic files for me. But it's good that at least you're aware of it. You're mm-hmm. aware of the desensitization. I'm aware and I'm aware that it's also, like I said, benefit to it's made me more personally aware when I go out and do things that, you know, you don't know who's watching you. Mm-hmm. There are unfortunately people out there with thoughts that we couldn't even comprehend who are willing to do something dangerous. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's just true to level, it's just true to observe the difference between The Wire and The First 48 or, you know, Fargo and something like Evil Genius or even um, an episode of, um, or, or Wild Wild Country for that matter. It's, it's true, be true to yourself to label the difference between these two. One is fiction, one is real life. And I think, um, I think that leads to a better, higher consciousness, if I'm going to be honest. And I, it is a lesson learned, like Nicole and Shana said. But um, this has been another episode of Can We Talk? Remember about the uh, 30-day trial of Audible, and um, have a good one. Come back, Eric. Bye. We Come miss back, you. Eric. <laughs>